Welcome to another episode of Politics in Indiana. I'm Deb Chubb. I'm delighted to be here today with newly elected state Senator Shelley Yoder, uh, representing uh, Senate District 40. Um, so, uh, Senator, I want to get right to the bills. You've got a lot going on. You have been very busy in your first term, filing lots of great um, bills. And, um, you know, I'm very hopeful that some of them will be heard and passed. So let's get right into, um, you, you have several bills that have to do with work and family issues. So tell us a little bit about those. Thank you so much, Deb. I really appreciate being here. And I just wanted to give a shout out to you and to other women throughout the state who ran. Uh, you were really responsible for so many successes and maybe we didn't see them uh, in getting who we wanted elected in the state house. However, we made progress and um, we definitely will continue to keep working at uh, recruiting and preparing really strong women candidates uh, for the state legislature. But you, Deb, uh, and 25 Women for 2020 were so instrumental in that. So thank you. And it's great to, to have this conversation. So I did one of my, uh, almost half of my bills for the 10 that we were permitted to file for this legislative session was a, a working, working families suite of bills. One, um, is really to bring to the forefront this issue of wage parity, equal pay for equal work. And what we've found across the United States is states who have prohibited asking about wage history has leveled out issues of pay inequity. And so one of my bills does prohibit asking that question of wage history uh, in the interview process. The next one would be paid family leave. And I know even the chamber, uh, even chambers are supportive of this. Uh, being able to provide paid family leave for either child or dependent care. And during this time of COVID, uh, when families are just struggling, you know, to, to try to figure out how to uh, manage illness, um, different the different ways that we have seen uh, COVID-19 hit, hit us, uh, but really a different, you know, from all different kinds of needs uh, in families, paid family leave would be such a, a move forward for the state of Indiana. So that's another well, I one. like that you mentioned that the chamber supports that because yes. we are now seeing this as an economic issue, uh, that this and impacts our economic development. In addition to that is childcare, tax credit. Making sure families can get a tax credit on childcare, incredibly expensive. Uh, but when we ask, you know, why is it so difficult to keep teachers in the profession? Well, uh, most of that is because we don't pay teachers enough and, and we definitely need to be addressing that. Maybe we can talk about that uh, in a little bit. But when it comes to if, if, if and when a teacher decides to have a child, um, who's and how are they going to, to care for that child fully? Um, and childcare is so incredibly important uh, in keeping the economy of Indiana going. So that childcare uh, tax credit is important and is also uh, something that many chambers do, you know, do that they, they do support that. Uh, also, uh, 
included in that is an increase to our earned income tax credit. Now, what we hear so often, you know, I know what I've appreciated is um, the uh, the phrase, and I think it's um, I'm totally blanking. Um, I, I'm blanking on the the name, but the idea of let's not um, attack the poor. Let's do what we can to start looking at and attacking poverty. And you know, increasing our earned income tax credit, which hasn't been increased, um, would be a step forward. So I'm excited about that suite of bills and am seeing support. And uh, hopefully we can work uh, for Hoosiers in those areas. Yeah, it would be nice, you know, um, as, a, as a nation, we've given lots of tax benefits to the very wealthy. And now wouldn't it be nice to give a little bit of a crumb to uh, lower income people and, uh, and help them uh, pay less taxes? Because we know every single dollar comes right back into the economy. That's now, right. working, now working, people are trying to just, you know, pay the bills. And it, it, they're, sadly, uh, it's very difficult to save anything. A dollar in is a dollar out. Mm -hmm. And so why we can't make those investments um, is, is beyond me because I love how you put that because they are sort of subsidies uh, for corporations and we don't treat it that way uh, for, for working families or for, for those, who low, those who are really working hard and still having a hard time making ends meet. Right, still working and, and not making a living wage. So Absolutely. yeah, and, and that's true. I mean, this whole time, this whole economy, you know, that got, you know, devastated by COVID-19, you know, the goal has to be to get cash moving through the system, mm -hmm. right? So you have to get cash in the hands of consumers, which drive the economy. And at every stage where they spend that money, that means someone's keeping a job. That means payroll taxes are being collected. Sales taxes are being collected. And it's, you know, it's a circular system. Uh, and then that money comes back. So, um, so it comes back to the government. So it makes so much sense to put more spendable cash in the hands of consumers um, instead of corporations who really just, you know, tuck it away as equity. So I think that's a, that's a terrific bill. And I just, I have, I really hope that that gets going. So you also have, um, oh, you know, there's one more in this suite that you uh, mentioned, and that is a work share um, yeah. bill. And tell me about that. So that is a, a bill that is also supported by uh, many uh, employers and both working families and um, people who have small businesses, um, big businesses. And many different neighboring states have this. And WorkShare is, an, is being able to keep and retain your talent, your employees, even though you're not able maybe to pay them the hours that you had them on initially. So you would have to come up with a plan, submit that plan, and there would have to be a reason, like in this case, if we had had work share uh, in Indiana last year, employers could say, I cannot actually keep you on for the full 40 hours. I can pay you one third of that. And then 
the remaining would come out of unemployment versus the this or that that employers and employees are looking at. It's so incredibly expensive for employers to find new talent and to train, but a work share program would allow some more flexibility there. And it has been before the legislature in years past and labor is supportive of this. So uh, I think they, you know, this is a bipartisan and it is a, I think this is a bill that could really move Indiana forward when it comes to uh, the way that we do business. That's great. I'm so proud of your leadership. And these are all bills that are going to help families and, um, and help people stay employed, help them, you know, stay above the poverty level. So these are really such practical needed um, bills. So you're just awesome. So, um, all right, and so now you have um, a, you have um, a couple of environmental bills that I want to talk about too, and uh, one of them I think um, I you know I tried reading them and oh my gosh, um, one I think is is net metering, uh, an expansion of net metering. I, I don't know if that's correct or maybe a repeal a repeal of that last bill that got rid of all the net metering. I'm not sure. So explain that one for us. So the. Net metering, uh, distributive gener uh, generation that I have submitted would e extend net metering for five years. Right now it's going to end in June of 2022. And uh, the in the last legislative session, uh, well, I think it was in 2019 actually, I I'm losing track of time. Uh, there was a Senate bill that actually ended net metering. Um, it would put an end to net metering. But that wasn't supposed to be the end of the conversation. It was really a stopgap measure to uh, allow time to look at what we need to do in Indiana when it comes to energy. And there was a task force that was put into place and they made some recommendations. The 21st Century Task Force uh, put together some recommendations that was released in, I believe, maybe late October, um, early November. One of those recommendations, sadly, was we need to take a closer look at distributive energies and net metering. So nothing was decided. And they, um, one of the recommendations is that another task force, like a 21st century task force report 2.0 would be issued by December, 2022. Well, net metering is going to end before then. And Hoosiers deserve to have, to, we need to be able to expand net metering and have more people be able to um, have the benefits of solar. This is an economic engine for Indiana and also to confront, to mitigate and to adapt to this climate crisis. But my bill would extend net metering for five years to make room for this uh, very comprehensive report that's supposed to come out that we want it to come out and as well as expand net metering uh, for customers. So that we've, last year we tried to repeal 309 mm -hmm. and that just didn't go anywhere. So we're hoping just to extend it and getting some bipartisanship there. Well, that's incredible. I, you know, the solar industry is ready to take off in Indiana. It's doing well. I sit on a school board and we put in uh, solar panels all over the place. Uh, we, we had to rush to get it in before the end of the year, I don't know which year, so that we could then recoup our expenses over time. Uh, and so it made it a feasible investment for a large school corporation. 
So, and so if you imagine that more and more school corporations, large industries move to solar, that's what supports the reduction of burning coal. And so that's, and that's where we need to get. I was actually just on a, uh, a great Zoom event yesterday put on by Hoosier Environmental Council. And it was all about what are we gonna do with all of the legacy of our coal burning, which is lagoons full of coal ash all over the state. Uh, in fact, Indiana has more coal ash lagoons than any other state in the country. <laughs> and we have to, now we have to clean all this up because that poisonous coal ash is sitting in lagoons that are unlined so all of those carcinogens, I mean, lead, arsenic, and the whole list of other poisonous toxins are seeping into the ground, into drinking water. Um, they are all uh, situated near waterways. Um, that's where, you know, coal burning plants are. Uh, they're all on rivers. And ours is by Lake Michigan, right? And the coal ash lagoons are butted right up against the lake where the levels are rising. This is becoming more and more urgent. Um, and of course, you know, that coal ash, uh, when it dries and flies around and, you know, people breathe it. Um, and unfortunately, um, the lower income uh, uh, neighborhoods and neighborhoods uh, where people of color live are way more impacted than just, you know, regular neighborhoods. And so somebody has to, you know, pick up the, the, ch the charge and take this and make this happen. So what you're doing um, doesn't sound like it's totally connected to that last statement, but it really is. These things are all driving this move away from burning coal, from creating all of this poisonous coal ash that is poisoning our lower income neighborhoods and everyone else and our drinking water. So these are, you know, these are such important, uh, such important steps that you're taking. So well, there's one more bill that actually is even, I mean, both the, the extension of net metering does as well. But I also have a updating the drainage code um, bill because we have not updated that drainage code and county surveyors need to be authorized in order to respond to different drainage um, approaches that maybe it, they need to respond to a public health crisis. Maybe it's an environmental crisis. Maybe it's flooding, uh, but right now it doesn't reflect that. And so I'm trying to move and, and that has bipartisan support as well. I, I am hopeful to join with Senator Cook who I, my district is just Monroe County, but not all of Monroe County and the few little um, areas of Monroe County that aren't in my district, I share with Senator Cook. And he is, he's put forth a bill to create a task force to look at wastewater, how we're going to do that in Indiana. Um, and I look forward, I told him I wanna work with you on that and hopefully we can have a more comprehensive um, solution and look at how we are addressing wastewater in Indiana. Yeah, septics are an issue all over. They're kind of this hidden uh, source of uh, pollution and uh, they're governed mostly by the county health department. And, uh, and so, and of course, I'm, you know, as many of our government agencies these days are understaffed, underfunded, and, um, and they're not properly inspected, not properly maintained. And, um, and this is really gonna end up causing, you know, lots of bacterial problems um, for waterways. So another awesome, another awesome bill. I wanna take a minute to ask you, I meant to ask you in the beginning, I forgot. 
um, about the state of the state house. Um, you know, in light of all that's happened at the national, you know, uh, you know, the national capital, and where legislators are uh, on on edge uh, with good reason uh, because of what's happened, and now there's all kinds of talk about these kinds of things happening at the state levels. Um, you know, how are you feeling about the security there at the state house? I mean. And the, you know, the safety both from uh, violent protesters, but also from, you know, COVID and, uh, and other, you know, health problems. That is a big question. And I know that there are measures to increase safety at the State House. Uh, there have been threats on the State House. There is some planned protesting that will be going on. And I think protesting is part of our, you know, constitutional rights. So there's, there's nothing there. That's, that's good protest. Um, but you know, what we saw in the Capitol, that's not protest. That's um, well, insurrection. And we just want to make sure that people are prepared and uh, doing all that we can. So those in, that we're protecting people's lives um, and and property. I mean, I hate to you know put people's lives because that's it's really people's lives, making sure that people are protected. But uh, when it comes to the mask mandate, it's not really so much enforced uh, the state house. And I have appreciated my colleagues. Uh, it was clear that when you're on the Senate floor, you're, you're going to be wearing a mask. And for the Senate, uh, for the most part, uh, there have been masks being worn. Um, I, I think some, you know, wear them down here, um, not covering the nose. So, You know, somehow this has become a real, uh, a real political issue, and you know I've, I grew up in Indiana, and I grew up being very concerned about my neighbors, and was taught that to be neighborly, to be considerate about the other, that it wasn't just hey you know I'm good, uh, and wearing that mask is being concerned for your neighbor. I don't understand why it's, why there's even a question. Oh, you know, oh, you're one of those. Or not shaking hands or just observing what the CDC has put out as curbing the incidences of COVID in order to protect uh, all those uh, are, you know, nurses and doctors and over overwhelmed hospitals and staff in order to make sure that our neighbors there are protected. And it's just a matter of wearing a mask. But we have seen um, this week, uh, there was a hearing in a committee of labor and pensions looking at a bill that would prohibit employers from requiring vaccination, uh, specifically COVID. And there were, you know, there was in force a large uh, contingency of those giving testimony 
in favor of this that we're not wearing masks and we're jammed into, um, you know, we're there in a committee room and then you're exposing those who are, are there to testify against it. And Sometimes oh, even masks. So that that's pretty frustrating, and uh, you know, lots of celebration of of this in the state house of you know civil liberties. Um, but we know that the mask is, you know, where does your liberty? Uh, where is that boundary when, yeah, you're not wearing a mask, but you're infringing on this, the, the liberty of someone else being able uh, to stay healthy and not risk their life. So, yeah, I think, you know, all fundamental constitutional rights are weighed against um, public safety. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's the argument that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that limits free speech. Um, you know, it's right. all, you know, that's what's weighed against your, your fundamental you know, constitutional liberty. So, and it is frustrating. And and what a frustrating bill. I mean, I worked in early childhood for many years, and and of course we were required to have TB screens. We were required to be vaccinated for uh, Hep Hep B and Hep A. Um, you know, because we would expose people. So why would you know? Why would you not allow an employer to make that? Um, you know that you know, that kind of fundamental, you know, just careful step to- Well, we already have it. Um, this bill adds, if you have, so we already have, somebody can already claim a religious exemption, a health exemption that already exists in the law. What this does is creates a new, it adds, if you have a conscientious objection to receiving the vaccination. So, you know, that adds some complexity to, well, what that means and is it, you know, is it necessary? So those protections for individual uh, religious liberties uh, is yeah. already there, uh, to be clear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so, well, I, I'm, you know, I applaud you for, you know, sticking it out there, trying to work through this and, you know, being so committed to doing your job. Uh, when people are making it really, you know, dangerous to do it. I just want to just reiterate, though, that it is quiet and people can still give testimony. It, it does look a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just see the added steps that staff, their employees at the Statehouse are going in between every single person giving testimony, cleaning up the space. Oh, Not wow. everyone is in that room. They're having to wait outside. Then they call you in and they clean it all up. They wipe it all down. You sit down, you can wear your mask or not when you're giving the testimony. Um, personally, I don't understand why you take off your mask. Uh, we can hear you, you're mic'd. So if you want to keep it on, that's okay too. Uh, some people choose to take it off, but they do clean it up and um, keep you uh, physically distanced apart in the, um, as you wait to come in and give testimony. So you still have that ability, uh, but it's, you know, it's just trying to manage a lot of different um, Yeah, it's a brand new world. Things, so, yeah. um, but on that same theme um, uh, of the bills that we talked about, are there committee hearings coming up that, um, you know, that you would love people to um, tune into and um, provide testimony 
And um, I don't think they give the committee hearing dates and, like for the week until like the Monday, is that no. right? So um, just FYI, uh, this isn't about the bills that I just um, talked about, but I'm also in um, the minority uh, in, in the Senate. The majority on next week, we will have our first environmental affairs committee meeting. And the bill, one of the bills that we will be looking at is uh, removing wetland protections over some of the current protections in the state of Indiana. Um, I want everybody to, you know, to definitely check this out. Let me get the exact um, bill number. For some reason, it just slipped my mind. I want to make sure people have um, that and can write, call uh, their representatives um, and make sure, let's see here. It is SB 389. SB 389, terrific. And so, and, and that will be, um, that will be heard at um, Environmental Affairs um, when? Monday morning. Monday morning. Oh, wait, wait a minute, it'll have to be Tuesday. I'm sorry, not Tuesday afternoon. I have to get my own like, um, Oh yeah, that's a holiday Monday. Yes, I know. So now I, I'm like, it's, I have to see when it's going to be heard. Um, yes. And, so, um, and people can go uh, to IGA.gov and, and they can um, watch a live stream of yes. those committee hearings as well. Mm -hmm. So I certainly encourage people to do that if you're not in, you know, if you're not up to going uh, to uh, the state house or the government center to testify. So, you know, we, um, Indiana used to have a lot of Northern Indiana, a lot of wetland. Um, I read in a, you know, a, a history book in Indiana. I have to find out which, where this was and we can talk about this at another time, but it, it just mentioned how you used to be able to take a canoe across the entire uh, you know, width of the state of Indiana in the northern part, going from wetland to wetland to wetland, creeks, rivers, uh, to Chicago. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, yeah, that would be the Calumet River, probably. Um, and uh, and uh, and I will tell you, you know, been involved with a lot of environmental stuff up here, and uh, there has been a lot of good cleanup along the the Calumet. Uh, the Grand Cal has undergone uh, terrific restoration work, um, mostly by the Nature Conservancy. Um, and, uh, and other groups are working on the East Branch and the West Branch of the Calumet River. Uh, so it's going okay, but I will tell you the Grand Cal, uh, it, was, it was really one, of, it was I think the most polluted uh, waterway in America some time mm -hmm. ago before this restoration. Yeah, it was really, really bad. And 90% of the flow was made up of discharge from industry. So, um, so it was a very, you know, Indiana waterways have undergone, a, you know, terrible, terrible, terrible violations. Well, well, our wetlands play an important part in, um, in just making our water, uh, sort of cleaning our water naturally. Absolutely. And we already are down to 68% of Indiana's water being drinkable. Uh, that's not, um, you know, that's salvageable. And so our, our wetlands are a part of that and we uh, certainly don't need to deregulate any more of them. And so this uh, SB 30, uh, 389 
uh, has the potential to do that. So uh, that's going to be next week. And I would love to give people a shout out to take a look at it. Okay. Yeah, we'll be there. Okay. So we're running out of time. I know you're very busy and you've got to go. So I do like to ask though, before I go, any just parting words of wisdom for us? I appreciate the work that throughout the state of Indiana we're doing. Um, we're certainly in interesting times. And, you know, when we're looking at in this next, this current session, writing the budget for the next two years, as well as redrawing the districts in our state. It's hard to get involved and it's easy to feel like uh, the process doesn't include you, but we desperately need the voices uh, of, of each and every uh, resident uh, who calls Indiana home to make that connection uh, to their representative or senator uh, just to say, you know, what what you're what you are concerned about, it doesn't have to be fancy. <laughs> it doesn't have to sound like you know everything about everything. What is important to you? Whether it's, I just want my vote. Um, I want to be able to vote safely. I would. I really appreciated being able to vote by mail um, during the primary, and and I would like to see that continue. Or maybe it's, you know, you you care about. Uh, environmental issues, or you care about public education, or you care about uh, doing all that we can to make sure that we're, you know, addressing poverty, but not attacking the poor. If these things are important to you, uh, find ways of getting, you know, involved. You can leave messages in social media, uh, phone calls, letters. You can actually come to the state house and, you know, supply testimony. But we need an engaged citizenry. And I think what chaos does and what feeling overwhelmed by the political process does, it disenfranchises people. It makes you feel like you, your voice doesn't matter, but it matters now more than ever. So don't give up, keep sticking with it and know that your voice does matter and we can't lose sight of that because if we lose that sense of democracy, uh, we'll certainly lose, lose our way. If we, you know, we, we just can't lose our way. We have to cling to that. And that takes everybody's involvement. Well, again, thank you. And thank you for being just an outstanding leader in Indiana. Um, I just, I so look forward to watching you uh, do great things. I just know you will. So, all right, so we'll be signing off. And so, you know, see you next time. I hope you'll come back and we can, you know, we can do this again. There'll be, there's lots more to talk about. So much to talk about. Thanks so much, Deb, for all your service to the state. Oh, you're welcome.